Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, this is Beckett Hate, and you're listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast. Recording from beautiful Marietta, Georgia, you are listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast, episode 25. I am your host, Tim Villegas. Today we have Beckett Haight on the podcast, but before we get into his interview, I'll have a few announcements. Uh, number one, we want to make sure that we get your input about topics and guests for the podcast. So get on the Twitter and tweet us at think underscore inclusive. And let us know who you'd like for us to interview and what topics you'd like for us to cover. Also, you can get onto the Think Inclusive Facebook page and give us a comment, check out the links, check out the resources, or you can also get onto thinkinclusive.us, onto our Contact Us page. Let us know who you would like to hear us interview. Um, We have some great guests that are being booked as we record this podcast right now. They're top secret, though, so I cannot tell you who they are, but you are going to be very excited. Um, And also, uh, the last announcement is really just a teaser because we will be offering inclusion coaching or educational consulting for whoever would like our services we have not put that onto the website yet so this is really a podcast exclusive that we are going to be sharing very soon if you want more information about that and you um, are really interested you can always email me at timviegas at thinkinclusive.us to get more info if you want to contact us 
Um, today on the podcast, we have Beckett Haight. We talk about his experience with differentiation and inclusion as a special education teacher working on three different continents. We talk about his recent TEDx talk, teaching every student computer science or how to code is not the answer. And after the podcast, please visit patreon.com backslash think inclusive podcast, where you can support our goal to bring you in-depth interviews with inclusive education and community advocacy thought leaders. Also, if you like the podcast, please help other people find us by giving us a five-star review on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to the think inclusive podcast. You can also tell your closest friends because we love word of mouth promotion. So without further ado, here is the interview. Hello, everyone. I'd like to uh, thank Beckett Haight for being on the Think Inclusive podcast. I'm very excited uh, about having a conversation with him. Uh, he is a nationally uh, national board certified special educator uh, who's been involved in special education um, as a non uh, nonstop as a student, a volunteer, an aide, or a teacher since 1994 when he got his first IEP. He spent six years teaching in high-need schools in California and has spent the last seven years as a learning support teacher on three different continents and the Caribbean. He recently gave a TEDx talk titled Teaching Every Student Comp Sci or How to Code is Not the Answer. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Beckett. Hey, thanks. Um, so really excited to finally have a conversation with you. Uh, we have been in touch online for, I don't know, it seems like a couple of years now. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, uh, you've, uh, written, uh, some guest posts for us. Uh, and, uh, I also want to highlight just before, you know, we'll get into this, uh, but you recently wrote a guest post that's on the, uh, on the website right now. So, um, as you're, as everyone's listening to this, make sure you visit the website and, uh, and read Beckett's post. It's fantastic. Um, so Beckett, what is, uh, what is new in your world right now? Uh, well, currently I'm in Mexico. I've been teaching here for the last year and I'm teaching at an American school. And the last few years I've been teaching all over the world and every two years you have the opportunity to look at a new job or, you know, your contract would be up. So I'm starting to think about where I'm off to next or if I'm going to stay in Mexico. And I really like it out here in Monterrey, but um, the world's a big place. So I'm putting together my cover letters and busting off my resume and starting to think about jobs in like South Africa and Thailand and Brazil. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's fantastic. Uh, so where where have you taught before? It says in your bio that you've uh, taught in three different continents. So well, what's some yeah, examples? So I, I was in Ethiopia before Mexico. So I was in Addis Ababa for two years. And before that, I was in Kuwait. And before that, I was in the Dominican Republic. And that was my first posting. I, I was trying to learn Spanish, so I took the job um, in the DR so I could try to get fluent. And I kind of did get fluent, but then I lost it because I started learning Arabic in Kuwait, and I started learning Amarilla in Ethiopia, and, um, and now I'm getting my Spanish back, so I'm in a good yeah. place. 
Yeah, actually, that was going to be my question is uh, if you were already fluent in Spanish before you you taught in in Mexico. Mm, You know, now it's kind of clunky, and uh, I have a lot of Dominicanismo, a lot of Dominican things that Mexican folks don't understand, so I have to rewire my Spanish a little bit. Um, so you said you, you're teaching at an American school. Um, is that through mm-hmm. like is that through a particular organization or is it private or how does that work? Um, that's a good question. Uh, it's a private school. So most of the schools I have worked at are nonprofit, like private schools, basically. And um, some schools in the international field can be like Department of State schools, or they can be linked to an embassy, or some of them are just for profit. But um, most of the schools, I'd say the majority are just like a, a school that they built, and it's like a private school in the States. So they pick a curriculum. It might be IB. It might be AP, Common Core. They have a board of directors, headmaster, like a superintendent. So it's, it's kind of like working at a high school in the States. Okay. Okay. And uh, did you uh, – did have you taught in the States at all? Yeah. So I started my uh, career in California. So okay. I for six years out there. I was in Los Angeles Unified for four years, and then I was up in the Bay Area for two. Okay. And I'm, I'm thinking about getting back out there at some point. Um, you know, I, I like working in high-need schools, and working at the these private schools internationally are kind of the opposite. So, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm trying to get back to my roots of, because uh, that's kind of why I got into special education, is I wanted to help the students that needed the most help. And then I thought working with special needs students in in high need schools would be like the best place. So I'm trying to I'm thinking about getting back to that also. Um, uh, so why I guess why did you become an educator in the first place? Well, as you mentioned in the intro, I I had an IEP, so I got diagnosed in um, sixth grade. I got kicked out of sixth grade, and in. So they're trying to send me to an alternative school. And so at that point, they've been trying to diagnose me for a few years since elementary, but I never got a diagnosis. And I never had an IEP, but then once they tried to send me to an alternative school, my mom fought to get a diagnosis and get me some support for my mainly ADHD, like behavior challenges. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I I went to a non-public school. Are you familiar with non-public schools, like NPS? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, not, not so. I mean, uh, there are a few uh, in Georgia where where I'm, you know, from uh, or mm-hmm. right now. I'm actually originally from um, the LA area. I'm not sure if we've talked about that yet, but um, uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so there are some non-public schools in Georgia. Yes. Okay. So yeah, I went to there, and um, you know, I was, I was there for two years, and I got to high school, and after some problems, I got through high school. And I turned my life around. I was having a lot of issues. And um, just with impulsive behaviors, criminal activity. And so I just wanted to give back. At some point, you know, I turned my life around. I said, hey, who can I help the most? Should I work with youth, you know, incarcerated youth? Should I work with kids with special needs? And then um, I became a TA by chance. And I, I was like, oh, this is cool. Let me study education. And next thing you know, I graduated and I've been teaching ever since. That's fantastic. It, I mean, it sounds like you've had a, a lot of uh, experience in different in different uh, um, environments. So that's I'm mm-hmm. sure that, that that brings a lot to the brings a lot to your students. Oh yeah, it uh, definitely helps. With the... Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
the so let, let's talk a little bit about um your TEDx talk um uh, uh teaching yeah. every student um computer science and or how to code is not the answer um so mm-hmm. i guess where where did this idea of of you um preparing this talk come from well i mean i started a masters in ed tech education technology back in 2011 and that was, that was a whole experience i was a luddite before i had the, the brick nokia phone i didn't i didn't have any extra apps on my computer i just used the school computer and i use the internet and Microsoft Word and all that, and uh, I was very simple. But then I started the ed tech program, and I started learning how to code, and I started learning about hardware and all these different apps. And the more I learned about, like, basically I started building an app um, on, it's called Xcode. It's mm-hmm. like a, for iTunes or the iOS. And I built a couple websites with HTML. And the more I did that, the more I realized that there was tools out there that would do it for you. And you didn't have to spend all that time learning. You know, I spent the whole summer learning how to do the I, the iOS, the iPhone app. So I took all these tutorials and I built all these little mocks apps. And But then I started hearing that there's apps that will build the app for you. So you just have to design it and you have to have the content. And for me, that was the harder part, figuring out what needs to go in the app. Because I was actually trying to build, you'd be interested, I was trying to build an app for uh, students transitioning into high school, I mean, into college. Mm-hmm. So all the transition services I did on paper and just, you know, with talks with kids, I was trying to build that into an app so they could have, like, GPA calculators and set goals and research colleges all in one app. And all of that was taking so much time developing that learning how to code didn't seem like the right idea. So I started, you know, just, that was the the beginning of it, and over the years, I just see, you know, politicians, and like, every student should learn how to code, and everybody needs to be proficient in a coding language, and this and that, but for me, I felt like you didn't need to do that, because you could use Google Sites, or Squarespace, or AppShed to build an app, and we have so many struggling students, you know, us as special educators, we see it every day, mm-hmm. and to add one more requirement, say, okay, you know, you have a language requirement, you have a math requirement, you have English, but now you need to be, you know, proficient in HTML. I think that's misguided a little bit. So um, that's kind of where I've been. And I tried to, I've been thinking about this idea for a couple of years, doing it at the TEDx talk, because it just seemed like the perfect place to just get out there and say, this is what I think. A lot of people might not agree. Let's talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, your your talk reminded me of a, of I was walking in a school um I, I don't remember exactly when it could have been um it could have been at the beginning of this year and there was a poster hanging up and it was a picture of Mark Zuckerberg and the mm-hmm. quote next to him is um that computer science or coding i can't remember you know how it was phrased um sh- uh, should be another subject like math or ELA mm-hmm. And it was like the perfect, <laughs> the perfect parallel to what you're talking about, because exactly. there's a lot of people talking about that and that, that it really should be just another thing that everyone learns. Um, mm-hmm. But something that you talk about in the, in the, the, the TEDx talk is um, that we were missing foundational skills uh, especially in the critical thinking 
Uh, and yeah, I, I really exactly. liked how you said this. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, um, about your experience in, in, in working with students and seeing that that's a piece that's missing and maybe, uh, a strategy or, um, a way that, that you develop that or teach critical thinking skills to students with disabilities. Sure. Like I just, just to answer the question quickly at first, um, a lot of times students come to me and they have the learned helplessness. Mm -hmm. So as soon as they have to start, you know, getting critical to thinking, they're like, oh, I don't get it. I need help, you know. And I see that time and time again. All the countries I've been at, it's just, it happens like that. Um, and so a big key for me is scaffolding the process towards critical thinking without making the kids uh, freak out and, like, shut down, you know, like, because uh, a lot of times teachers, it's more expedient just to be like, oh, okay, it's right here, or this is how you would do it, or this is the inquiry you need to do. But you need to, like, work with them in their ZPD and kind of guide them through, okay, so what what would you do in this situation? What do you, what options might you have? And kind of help them, you know, guide them. So that, that's kind of one of the key things I do as a teacher. It's part of my hidden curriculum, I would say, you know, just making sure that, I don't just give the kids answers and I don't spell things out. I help guide them. Um, but yeah, I see it a lot. I, you know, I'm in a push in math class right now. And we were just talking, me and the teacher were talking the other day about how the students aren't thinking critically about just basic math things. You know, like, like different shapes. They might see, they might think they made a square, but it's a rectangle. And you, you think that they'd be able to kind of think it through and be like, okay, this doesn't look exactly like a square, but I don't know what that is. I don't know if that critical thinking or is that <laughs> mathematical reasoning ability. Um, hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I see. So our goal then is to try to figure out how to get the students to not just put something on the paper and move on, you know, trying to take more ownership into what they're doing. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, you use the the phrase "learned helplessness," which I think is is very interesting. And I, I I wonder if you have any opinions about why um, why we see that so much. Because I definitely, you know, as a as a consultant to teachers and working directly with students uh, with disabilities, I definitely see that. Um, so I wonder if that do you, do you think that's a symptom of something, or um, I mean, I I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I guess my, my feeling is always that it's just easier for, you know, the teachers to kind of just give the students the answer in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like if they have a question, oh, um, I don't get it, instead of kind of working them through the thought process or, you know, kind of guiding, you know, like uh, doing kind of like a think aloud, like, oh, okay, so what else might you want to search in, you know, putting your search terms in Google? What if you added... I was about to say it in Spanish, comillas, what do you call those, uh, quotation marks, you know, what if you added that to part of your search and then did a minus this and, you know, and the students don't want that. They just say, what should I search in Google when they're doing research? And then the first thing that pops up, if they don't see what they're looking for, they kind of give up sometimes, for example. So, and it's easier for the teacher to grab the keyboard and be like, here, search this. Oh, there you go. There's your result. Okay, read that website. But to step back and kind of guide students through thinking, or build that into your to your rubrics and to your you know if you have like a project based learning situation kind of have it built into every stage and it takes more effort and the kids don't like it it's, you know everybody's happier when they get a quick answer but 
you know, it's, it's kind of like working out. You don't get the muscles if you don't feel that pain, right? Yeah, no, I like that analogy. I like that analogy a lot. Um, yeah, I, I, as a as someone who works with teachers a lot, uh, I'm always interested at other other people's perspectives on how, um, I guess, how to promote that sort of planning um, mm-hmm. for teachers because, you know, I mean, you know, you, I mean, you taught in, in LAUSD. Yep. <laughs> uh, there's, there's not enough time. There's, you know, there's a lot of paperwork. Uh, you're, you're overworked, overtired. Um, I mean, how do you get to the point where y- y- you go through that whole process of, of knowing how to plan uh, mm-hmm. for the success of all your students. Uh, you know, I think yeah. that so, you know, some teachers, I'm not sure if it's, if they're just naturally gifted in that particular area or, you know, maybe it was modeled. I, I think for, I think for mm-hmm. me, I, I had really good models. So, and that that's really the best way that I learn is, uh, is I observe and then I was able mm-hmm. to copy that and then build systems in to myself. Um, yep. So I, I really don't know what the yeah. answer is. Uh, do you have any thoughts well, I, about that? I have that? an idea. Yeah, you, when you mentioned that, it, it reminds me, I definitely had some good models too, like because I've co-taught with a ton of teachers over the, year, over the years and pushed into a lot of classes. So that's one area where I've seen a lot of different styles of teaching. But I think also like the UBD framework, you know, the under, what is it, understanding by design, and like backwards planning hmm. and uh, developing your units. Um, like I don't know if teachers in the United States are using Atlas Rubicon. Have you heard of that? Uh, that doesn't sound familiar, no. Uh, well, internationally, a lot of schools are using this system probably because there's a lot of teachers moving so often. They just need like a place to put the curriculum. So it's, it's basically unit plan mapping. You put in your UBD unit into this, um, you know, it's kind of like a website. What is a website? But it's like your personal website. And they start from your standards. What skills do the kids need to know? What content are you are you teaching? And um, this is kind of where you break down the difference between knowing something and understanding. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we're talking about critical thinking. You know, you, you, know, you can say, okay, I'm going to do these learning activities so the kid can know this concept. But to truly understand it, they need to be able to transfer the skills and apply it in a different context. So that's kind of where you start thinking about it as your unit planning. And then you come up with the learning activities and your assessments. How are you going to assess this? How are you going to differentiate? That's kind of where I come into things as a learning support teacher. I work with the teachers on how to differentiate all the different um, objectives, focus on the key understandings and all that. But... um yeah, I guess uh, that's what I would say. UBD might be the best way. Just sitting down and unit planning. Because after a lot of teachers, like you're saying, are busy, and it's hard to really sit down and plan out the scope and sequence and put it all together. But once you do that, you start to get more ideas. And then the next year, you can go back on that unit and make more modifications and you know make sure you're hitting all the learners and help them move and scaffold everything. Yeah. Oh, I love, yeah, I love that. I love that. So UBD is units by design. Is that what you said? No. Um, I think it's understanding by design. Oh, understanding. Okay. Understanding. Yeah. Understanding by design. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
it's just basically like backwards planning, like what are the standards, what are the assessments, what do we want to do, you know, the enduring understanding, the essential questions. Yeah. And then from there, you plan everything. And so that's what you, you if you want the kids to come over with a skill of being able to critically analyze a media source, you got to plan that out, you got to differentiate, you got to have resources to support that. And it's all just like the end of the unit plan. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Um, and then you also said something about Atlas Rubicon. Is that something mm-hmm. that that people can look up? I don't. You know, I've only used it through the schools I worked at. Okay. So I'm not. I think you might have to have like a school account. But either way, like um, you can find those kind of unit templates online. Okay. It, it just really helps guide you through, uh, you know, the the process of developing a strong unit and scaffolding and supporting right. all the learners and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I um I don't think it would I I guess uh, when I'm reflecting on my when when I would lesson plan and um the backwards planning is is familiar to me kind of looking at where mm-hmm. I want the stu- what I want the students to to know and then and work from there like it's like that idea of uh keeping the end in mind, you know, with the mm-hmm. um uh you know, just uh, all those the, the leadership um uh, that Stephen Covey thing. Uh, but anyways, um, no, that's, that's really good information. I like that. Uh, you mentioned something about differentiation, uh, and, and I wanted to, to talk about that because you mentioned something in, um, in your guest post. Mm -hmm. And like I said, everyone should, everyone that's listening should definitely check out the, the post that Becca did on think inclusive, but, um, it's it was the when you're supporting students in the inclusive class and modifying as little as possible and not just mm-hmm. passing struggling students to the next grade we will be doing a service to our students and i i want to pick your brain about this idea of modifying maybe accommodating and differentiation is that there's mm-hmm. a lot of different there's a lot of different words that float around in education, and I don't think people, teachers especially, um, have a, a really good grasp of what differentiation is and how it is or is not modifi- modifying work. Um, mm-hmm. I know that's a really big question, so I don't expect you to, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, we could talk, we could like have a whole podcast series about that, right? Yeah, no, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but just, uh, the best you can, um, maybe summarize, cause you talked about mm-hmm. in, in, in the, in the post, you talk about, um, um, differentiation, content process and product, right? So, mm-hmm. um, so what is, I guess, con- content process and product? Let's start. For, let's start there. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, what you're saying is, is very true. Uh, there's a lot of confusion, and sometimes the terminology gets things confusing. Because, like you said, modify. Like we just a minute ago about Atlas, I said I would modify my unit plan the next year, and as I said that, I was like, oh, I shouldn't have said modify because people might start thinking I'm talking about the standards and the expectations. And, um, you know, when I'm working with teachers, we'll say, okay, we're going to modify the test. But we don't mean modify. We mean we're just going to adjust it because and we're going to differentiate the test, not modify. Because, you know, the modification means that the standard is being lowered, right? So, um, 
and to your question, so the content, the process, and the product, that's what I'm always thinking about uh, differentiating as I'm working with pushing teachers and um, supporting the students on a caseload. So basically the content, the level might change um, depending on the student's readiness. So that's kind of the underlying part. You have to look at student readiness, their interest, and then just kind of like the learning profile. So if a student, for example, maybe let's say in English you're trying to teach ironing through a certain text, but that text reading level is too high for the students in this eighth grade class, then maybe as a special educator I'll come in and I'll lower the reading level, but we'll still focus on the irony part of the thing, right? Or um, the process, you might have every kid in the class is expected to read, you know, a certain passage, but we might find a different process for finding irony or whatever. Um, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I think. Um, yeah, yeah um, I think that uh, I think that uh, teachers feel sometimes um, like their hands are tied when and you, and you gave a great example you have you have a, a grade level an on grade level assignment and you have students who are reading maybe two or three grades below mm-hmm. um you know with understanding the the content of that of that assignment um and to to lower the the instructional reading level of that passage and giving it to that student isn't modifying the curriculum, but it's giving access for that student mm-hmm. to understand whatever it is, whatever the the end goal of that assignment is. It's giving access to that student so that they can achieve what you want them to achieve. And like your example, if we're talking about irony, then the the end goal is that student understands about irony. The end goal is not mm-hmm. for that student to read on grade level for that particular assignment. Exactly. Um, and exactly. so, I think that's a huge piece that that is that's very confusing because, um, mm-hmm. uh, and then also uh, the, uh, when you're thinking about differentiation, uh, that teachers feel like. I have to come up with if I have 30 students in my class I have to come up with 30 different plans. You know, mm-hmm. it's really more about keeping those those three things on top of mind, content, process and product and making sure exactly. that for certain students I know that I may need to have this student produce a different product in order to get the desired result that I want like from that standard. Exactly. So, uh um, yeah. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's perfect. I I think that I think you summarized it very well, uh, and it's something that we as that that one of my goals for the for Think Inclusive and our podcast is to like that is one of our central messages that that um, to empower teachers um, and parents to advocate for when they're you know when they're in IEP meetings to be like you know what. Uh, like I understand my you know my kid reads at a second grade level and he's in fifth grade but you know let's give him let's support him in his reading so that he can understand science and social studies or or whatever because because mm-hmm. what ends up happening is the the school says well he you know he needs to go to small group for that because he you know he's not achieving a grade level so um, yeah yeah that that's that's what I want to avoid. 
Wow, that, that's true. And, and yeah, so many times it's easier to do that, like historically, just say, oh, you know, um, he's at a second grade level, let's put him in a small day class or pull out. But there is a lot of ways that, you know, things can be differentiated. You know, I worked with kids in high school in a push-in biology class. Some of the kids I worked with had a first grade reading level, first grade writing level. Um, some of them cognitively were in the maybe the upper elementary range, just in general. And, you know, we had to find ways to make it happen. You know, sometimes instead of reading part of the textbook, we'd have a, like a kinesthetic activity where we model something. Other times you're putting stuff together, building models and stuff instead of just like watching a lecture. I mean, it takes work and it takes support from learning support a lot of time, but it's definitely doable. Yes, yes. And uh, you have to be committed to the committed to it. You know, you have to, mm-hmm. you have to decide as a team that this is what we're doing. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, so this has been, a, I, I love our conversation. I, I, I wish, you know, that I, I'm, I guess my hope is that this is, these are the kinds of conversations that teachers are having all around the world, right. And how to support students. Um, mm-hmm. and, hopefully making decisions that are saying, you know what, we have students with a, a wide variety of needs, but let's figure it this out. Let's, let's make sure that we build classrooms that are inclusive so that um, students aren't learning in separate environments. Um, so yeah. I really appreciate your, your thoughts on that. Um, so no, I'm part of the movement. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love talking about it and thinking about it. I love seeing it move forward. Fantastic. Um, on that note, where can where can people find um, your thoughts about this? So um, I have a blog where I talk about special education themes, and um, it's called Collections of a Special Educator, and it's at um, I guess www.beckethate.com. So just my name dot com. I had to buy that domain a couple of years ago. I didn't want anybody else taking it and putting up weird stuff. So. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> yeah, and then um, I'm on Twitter a lot, at Beckett Hate, B-E-C-K-E-T-T-H-A-I-G-H-T. So I'm always hitting the Twitter chats and trying to find interesting content. All right, all right. So everyone, please, as you're listening to this, uh, check out Beckett on Twitter and on his blog, and then also read um, his guest post on Think Inclusive. Um, it was a fantastic and fascinating conversation with Beckett Hate. Thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, thank you. A great, great talk. That is our show. We would like to thank Beckett Haight for being a guest on the Think Inclusive podcast. Make sure to follow him on Twitter and his blog, beckethaight.com. Follow Think Inclusive on the web at thinkinclusive.us, as well as on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Anchor.fm, the easiest way to start a podcast. If you are using the Anchor app to listen, please leave us a voice message. You may be featured on our next podcast. You can also favorite us 
and or use the applause button while listening to the show, we love to know that you are listening. From Marietta, Georgia, please join us again on the Think Inclusive podcast. Thanks for your time and attention. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.